We gather in moments like this, and it's not just a normal day. It's not just another day. Not just another moment together. These are powerful moments. When we churches get together, people come together to say, He's King, and we worship Him. But He gave us gifts for moments like these. And He called them apostles. He called them prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. He gave us gifts to lead us on. And it says this, It was He, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people, that's us, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the winds and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. God gives us gifts so we won't just be blown around. He gives us gifts so that unity will come in the church. He gives us gifts so we'll fight for these things. He gives us gifts so we'll get on mission together and see His glory. He gives us gifts so we grow up. And in a moment of teaching and a moment in His presence, He can take us forward and into. And He sends us these gifts and He says, actually, this is for you. And, and tonight we've got amazing gifts in this room, but we've been sent two amazing gifts in, in the Virgos and the Dyers. And, and um, one of those gifts... I'm going to call up Rory Dyer and welcome his lovely wife, Mel Dyer. And, and, um, and he's going to try to take the mic away from me, and he's bigger than me. So I'm going to tell you, stay there. Yes, yeah, stay here. Yeah, how many times have you done this to me, Jonah? <laughs> this is fun. This is lots of fun. Just going to make him stand there, feel a little awkward. Look at him. Just enjoy. But, um, but, but God gave some to be apostles, some to be... I, I, I'm still learning what an apostle is, and, and I'm reading, and I'm learning. But if there is such a thing as an apostle of love, and I believe there is, I think this man is that thing. And uh, I have had my socks loved off by this man over 20 years. And so we came here five months ago. I promise you, I don't think it would have been possible without the love of this man for me and for my family and for a city called Durban and a city called Pretoria. And God sends these gifts into our lives. And I've had the privilege of walking with this gift. But He sends them to us as a city to say, thrive. To say, go, grow. See His kingdom come. See His glory be made known. And so we receive this gift. So I'm going to ask this gift, who I love, to introduce another gift who we love to now. That's very gracious of you. Thanks, my bud. I said to one of the Blue Bulls guys, I mean, what do you think about Victor Matfield coming out of retirement? I mean, what do you think? They said, well, we pulled you out of retirement from Durban, so just uh, have to settle it down. It's a joy to be here. I um, used the illustration, I think, at the handover. I was in a meeting in Kersney College uh, in Natal, Bothers Hill, where I saw Mark take a microphone, and he was, he was being fast-tracked. Uh, through Unilever, he was an executive at a very young age. He was in senior management position, and he was literally on a road to the top. And I saw the father grip his heart, and he got up and he sang a song. He said, I want to run for you, Jesus. And you know, sometimes people can sing songs, and then sometimes there's a song from heaven, where there's a decisive moment. And in that meeting was a Springbok rugby player. He was a lock. He grew up in a conservative Afrikaans home. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he started running. He broke out of the meeting. He ran out of the hall, and he took a whole throng of people with him, and they ran around. 
And it was a commissioning moment when men and women decided to run for Jesus. And I saw that moment. I saw, so it's incredible to be here, to see a man who, who sang that he'd run for Jesus, to actually see him running for Jesus is phenomenal. And I want to say to you guys, we are, we are not put on this earth to waste our time. We are put on here with a mission and a purpose. I think God knew that we had to be in this country at this time by His complete design. He knows the houses that we should live in. I was reading in, in, um, in Luke the other day, it says, Jesus, when Zacchaeus was in the tree, Jesus walked up to the spot and He looked up. And I thought there are spots all over Cape Town and there are spots all over South Africa that God has intended us to walk into, to look up and to grip men, rip them out of trees and put them into the kingdom of God. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And it's wonderful to see you doing that, my bud. It's great to see you with your family. We're very, very proud of you. I said to him, this has got to be the pinnacle of, of ministry when you see the next generation running past you. Um, <laughs> I could honestly just weep. Because God is very good. Very good. You young people, don't waste your lives. Don't waste your lives. Don't get caught up on this and that. Serve Jesus. Run for Jesus. Let the purposes and the pleasure of God rest upon you. It says in the Bible, that I'm, in the NIV, it says, I'm created according to His will and pleasure. And there's so much pe- looking about what is the will of God. What is the, we are also created according to His pleasure. He had a whole lot of fun putting you together for His purposes on this earth. Amen? I'm going to introduce two people. One's going to speak for a few minutes, and then the other one's going to speak. The first is Wendy Virgo. She would stop talking to the people behind her. So, Wendy, I need your attention right now. Thank you very much. We, we don't... Um, yeah, sorry, ladies, you mind immediately. Yeah, so You are disturbing the meeting. The Bible talks about you kind of people. <laughs> Please, can you put a thing on your head and, and, and be silent? <laughs> And discuss it at home. <laughs> but this is a very amazing, this is a very, you're going to come and speak now, Wendy, before I introduce Terry. It's a very amazing lady. She's, she's an author of books. She's a preacher of grace. She's an amazing mother and wife. And you're a great example. You're a, you're a, you're a godly woman. I think you're like a Proverbs 32 woman. You've taken it a little bit further even. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you are really, and, and she's really naughty, and she's very mischievous. And come and say hi from England. Let's give Wendy Virgo a very warm welcome. I think this is the second time that Rory has done this to me and embarrassed me and made me come up and talk. Now, that's quite quite a dangerous thing to do because I can talk for hours about nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I could embarrass him, but I can't think of anything right off. <laughs> just to say that I think the, the chapter after Proverbs 31 is Job. Is it on it? No, 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 no. It comes before. It comes before some. Yeah, just thinking Job 1 after Proverbs. It could be an interesting. Yeah, but anyway. No, no, I've got, it, I've got that wrong. Anyway, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. And I keep having people coming up to me and telling me how wonderful Terry is. So, yeah, good to be reminded, really. <laughs> He's, he's getting there. He's getting there. <laughs> I think in one week, this is about the eighth time that I've introduced Terry Virgo. He's been with us in Pretoria. God gives gifts to the church, as Mark was saying, and those gifts build a foundation in our lives. And the foundation is none other than Christ. 
That's the foundation there. And then we can build on that foundation. When the foundation is solid, we can build houses. And uh, I said it this morning, but, but when Terry came here, I really felt as I was praying that when Terry finished preaching, there would be shackles left on the ground and people would walk out here free. This country is a religious country. And, and we, we expect to behave in a certain way. And a lot of rules and regulations come on us. And we think we have to do certain things to please God. Jesus pleased the Father. And Terry will give it to you in such an amazingly fresh and remarkable way. He's 74 years old. He is on fire for Jesus. He's a, he's a clear-thinking man. Honestly, Terry, it has been an absolute privilege and joy to walk with you. You blessed us in Pretoria. You blessed us this morning. Can I just... You've got you to... You've got to know how to receive a gift. Like a kid at Christmas, you wake up excited with expectation in your heart. You run down and you go to the tree and you think, I wonder what's inside here. And our parents who know us the best will get the best gift possible for us. The Bible says how much more our Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to the church. This man is an exceptional gift that God has given to the church. I ask you to open your hearts wide and to receive him with amazing, amazing expectation. Terry, we love and appreciate you. Thank you for your walk and thank you for being with us. Let's give him a warm welcome. Thanks so much, Rory. And you'd have thought by now I'd know how to put one of these things on without catching it on the back of the chair as I get up. There we go. I hope it'll still work. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. It's been such fun being with Rory for a few days, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, Such a joy to see God's blessing on the church in Pretoria where he is. And now to be here with Mark and the church is a huge blessing. I've met Mark in Durban. So appreciated his worshipful heart, the tremendous praise that uh, he ignites when he's worshipping and just to be part of what is so obviously a worshipping church here, and uh, to celebrate Jesus together uh, so enthusiastically. I've so loved the worship and the meeting so far. I do hope it's not all downhill from now on. (laughs) So I want to be a blessing to you. I'm going to speak to you about the grace of God, which for me was a life-changing experience to come to see God's incredible grace towards us. For myself, I was kind of backslidden really. I got saved from a non-Christian background. Um, I knew nothing about the gospel. My parents were not Christian. Uh, I was just a pagan in England. Uh, and my sister went to live in London. Billy Graham came to London. She came home saved uh, and she said, I've been born again. I said, what on earth born again? I had no idea what she was talking about. Anyway, she led me to Christ. That night uh, I knelt down and asked Christ into my life. I felt it happen. And I started a backslidden Christian life uh, for about four or five years. Then I had a crisis where I felt God really said, I want your life. I've got purposes for you. Scared the life out of me. And uh, yeah, I guess he did. He scared a life out of me and gave me another life. And then I got filled with the Spirit and I, I became a pastor. I was working hard, trying hard, trying hard. And we were seeing some blessings, seeing people get filled with the Spirit, seeing things happen. But I would say, always in my heart was that sense, is that enough, Lord? Am I doing all right, Lord? And one day I felt God said something to me about His grace. 
And it was like I saw a break in the clouds. It was like I saw blue sky, which is rare in England. You know, I saw, I, saw, I thought, did I see something? And it's like the clouds closed again. I thought, I thought I saw something of incredible grace. And I felt God spoke to me. He said, don't be worried. I will persuade you of this truth. I will persuade you of my grace. And he began to. And for me, seeing God's grace was almost like being born again again. I just came to a place of such peace and joy and I think understanding of what the gospel is. And I'm praying that tonight, as we look at this theme, many of us will suddenly see what God's done for us by grace. So I want to read to you, first of all, just one verse from Romans 5. We're going to be looking into Romans a bit as we go on, but starting here in Romans 5, and it's quite uh, difficult really to interrupt the Apostle Paul, once he gets started. Um, But in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is comparing and contrasting the result of Adam's disobedience and how Adam ruined the human race. He refused to obey God and he made us all what the Bible calls children of disobedience. We're all corrupted by Adam's sin. That's what he says in the Bible. And in Romans 5, he's saying, through this man's sin we all became sinners. But through this man's righteousness, and he's talking about Jesus as that second man who came, the second Adam, if you like, who came to to do what? To set up another race. People who've been born again. A new community. And through his righteousness, he changed the whole deal for us. Radically changed everything. And so we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just one of the verses... If you had time, you see, it says a similar sort of thing again and again through this chapter. So we'll just read Romans 5 and verse 17. If by the transgression of the one, that's through sin, all right, through Adam, if through the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we belong to you. We're so delighted to come into your place tonight, celebrate your kindness. This is amazing grace. Lord, we just can't sing it enough. This is amazing. Lord, we worship you for your phenomenal, breathtaking kindness, that you would take our place, that you would bear our cross. Lord, we just want to applaud you and celebrate you tonight with all our hearts. We are thrilled with you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you. You promised to give us the Holy Spirit. So we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, come upon us, please, right now. Right now. Rest upon us. Be our teacher. Open the eyes of our hearts. Let what we do now not just be listening to a man speak. We pray we may hear you, Father, with understanding, revelation that cuts us free for your great glory. Please, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the passage talks about our reigning in life. It's a pretty vivid phrase. It suggests being not under the circumstances, not feeling Uh, that we're suffering and in difficulty, 
reigning in life. It's a very vivid phrase. It's not the only one in the New Testament. It talks about we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just conquerors even. More than conquerors. It's pretty kind of lavish language. Again, it says he always leads us in his triumph. So these are tremendous statements. We're always in triumph, more than conquerors, reigning in life. That's the kind of description of what it is to be a Christian. And many of us would say, yes, Lord. And many of us would say, hmm, uh, I wish that was true of me every Monday morning, Tuesday through the week, in the workplace, in the home, in the neighborhood. If only I was reigning in life. And, and we have kind of crises. Uh, maybe we come to the end of a year uh, you get a new calendar, maybe a new diary, uh, and you open its clean white pages, and you look back at last year's, I think, Lord, I'm so sorry. That isn't what I was aiming for. I'm not proud of these last week's days. I'd love to do better. And sometimes we get these sort of stirrings, and it's a great thing in the Christian life to have a, a fresh moment of motivation stirring you. Maybe you go to a conference, it's great, great sometimes, isn't it, to put everything else down so we're going to a conference and we focus on God uh, and there comes a moment when you just feel his call in your spirit. You say, yes, Lord, I want to do better. As I say, the beginning of a new year or a moment, and we say, right, I'm going to do it. And that's great. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to reign in life. Now, sadly, very often at that moment, we don't read what the verse says. And we think, well, I'm going, how am I going to reign in life? I'm going to set myself some targets. That's off on the way. We think, right, I'm going to make this Christian life work. And so what should I do? Well, I'll set my alarm clock uh, an hour earlier. I'm going to pray more than I've ever prayed. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read, I'll read my Bible whole through, right through, from the beginning to end. It's got 1,400 pages, right? It's going to divide that by 365. Right, it's like four and a half pages a day. I'm going to read it. And we set ourselves targets. And we, and we kind of say, if I can keep these rules, I'll reign in life. If I can do that, if I can accomplish that, if I can keep these laws, then I'll reign in life. And that, we think that's the way we're going to respond to God's love and our desire to serve him. And it's very sad. Because it's like there are two doors ahead of us, and one's marked grace and the other's marked laws. And you, you set yourself up for disappointment. You set yourself up because you say, I am going to do this stuff in order to reign in life. And that's not what it says. It says those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, they're the ones who reign in life. And it actually goes on to say this, listen, you who would be justified by law have fallen away from grace. Now that's a phrase we don't hear very often these days, but it's a phrase you used to hear quite a bit about people He's fallen from grace, I think. Well, his son, I haven't seen him at church lately. Mm, maybe he's fallen from grace. And we kind of think he's backslidden, that means. But that's not what it means in the Bible. Paul says, you who would be justified by law, by law have fallen from grace. You who are trying to be religious to please God, you who are trying to keep rules carefully, you're falling away from God's way of blessing you. Grace. And so Paul actually is quite furious with the Galatians when he writes that. And he says things like this, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. Or again, Romans 6, the next chapter, says this, sin will have no dominion over you since 
You're not under law, but under grace. Now that's a bit of a challenge. What do you mean not under law? Didn't Jesus say, the law will never pass away? What do you mean you're not under law? What are you talking about? It's dangerous, isn't it? Not very Christian. Not under law. Jesus said such pretty big things about the law. And sometimes we're not quite sure where we stand in relationship to the law. In fact, I think sometimes if I said here tonight, right, those of you who say a Christian is under the law, would you put up your hand? Or those of you who say Christians are not under the law, let's put up their hand. I think if I said that, I think we'd all be going, hey, what are the elders doing? Because, uh, <laughs> oh. hey, we're not sure where we are. What are you know, this is difficult. He says this, he says this, where am I? And it's very important, dear friends, yeah. that we get this right. Because it's not a casual matter. Oh, interesting verses. No, no, no. It's about how you enjoy your relationship with God and living out the Christian life. It's absolutely fundamental. So I want to take you just over the page. If you want to follow with me, I'm reading in Romans chapter 7. Now, we could go to many places. I mean, the whole of Galatians is about this. And many, many other places. Colossians 2, all sorts of places are spelling out the freedom of the Christian but I don't know a better place in just a few verses to just spend one evening on a theme to see what Paul teaches. Okay, so Romans 7, I'm reading, I'm just using the NASB, so you may find one or two words differ if you're following a different translation. Romans 7, Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? pretty final. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's free from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. So she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6. Now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Okay, so Paul's using a pretty vivid image he says it's like we're all married to the law. The law is that overbearing husband. He's telling us his requirements. He's saying you should not do this, you should not do this, you should not do this. He's our husband, he has authority over us, and we're married to him. We're married to the law. The law is our husband. He's telling us where we fall short, and it says here he has authority over us as long as he lives. All right, so he's telling us his requirements. He's showing us where we fall short of God's holy purposes. It's very important we understand that. That's God's word to us. We are under his authority. Now, another thing I just need to say before we go ahead, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. I wonder if you've thought about that. Satan, it means accuser, his chief weapon is not living downtown in the, some of the wicked center of a, of a tough town. No, no, no. He accuses Christians day and night. His chief weapon. So you call yourself a Christian. 
Whew, you're hopeless. He's just onto you, onto you all the time. He's trying to build up a sense of condemnation and failure. He's trying to put a cloud over you. You have that battle. Every Christian faces that battle at different times, in one degree or another. Okay, so he gets behind this. He kind of confuses you. So let's come back to what I was saying. The law is your husband. He's saying to you, don't do this, don't do this. He's got absolute authority over you. And you cannot say, actually, I don't want to be your wife. I want to be married to Christ. I want to be the bride of Christ. No, it says here, you're already married. It says you can't just marry somebody else. Because you're already married. You're married to the law. And the law is saying, thou shalt not. And you can't argue with him. Why? Because he's always right. And you know he's right. You can't say, no, I disagree. No, no, I, no, I think I should. No, no, you know he's right. He's always right. So you've got a husband who's always showing you where you're wrong, and he's always right. And he never lifts a finger to help you. All right? So I don't want to see too many wives saying, hey, I think he's talking about you. Dear. <laughs> so so this, is, this husband... Is, is constantly showing you your failure. You can't argue with him and he'll never help you. And Jesus said one more thing. The law will never pass away. Yeah. All right, so you are permanently married to an overbearing husband, perfectly righteous and true, showing you you're wrong, never going to lift a finger to help you and he's never going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't life grand. Okay, no. Religion, who wants it? I mean, it's terrible. Here it is. Now, it looks like, from the way he's speaking, it looks like what we need is for that husband to die. That's the way he kind of shapes it up. It looks like, man, this is terrible. He needs to go. But Paul suddenly turns the thing on its head. And he says in verse 4, and it's very important we see what he says and not what he doesn't say. He says, you, my brothers, were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? Well, what's Paul's favorite phrase for a Christian? One who is in Christ. That's it, isn't it, all the time. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All right? We're in Christ. So what he's saying is this, that something happened to Christ and we were in him. And Christ, Christ had two relationships with the law. The first was the one he lived, which was total innocence. The Bible calls him innocent. That's a word to describe Jesus. Innocent. He was never found guilty. In fact, he challenged a crowd. He says, which of you can find fault with me? And that's a pretty challenging thing to say. He said, the devil's coming. He's got nothing on me. This is a perfect man. This is a perfect, innocent man. That's one relationship with the law. With the law. He's innocent. He's perfect. You can look in the face of law, as it were, and have no problem. But then he has another relationship with, with law where it says this, God made him who knew no sin, he had no sin, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In that moment, Jesus took your place and mine and he became the personification of sin. In that moment, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. It's not some plague, he became sin. And, and on the cross, he says, you've forsaken me. He's hanging there, and it says in Galatians, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a cross. The law curses him. The law finds him guilty. God's vindicated. God's holy law 
is thoroughly vindicated as righteous and true and one dies and is cursed by the law and dies once and for all to the law. It's finished. The law is vindicated. Christ bears the punishment, the curse, the death and dies to the law once for all. And Paul says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were made to die to the law through the body. You were in Christ. When that happened to Christ, you were in him. So Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 19, he says, according to the law, I died to the law. I have been crucified with Christ. My relationship with law is over. I've died to that husband. It's finished. The law is justified, vindicated, and the law lives on. That's why we must be very careful about this. It's not that the law passes away. We have passed away with Christ. We've died to it. So Paul says in Timothy, the law is good, providing you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. The law keeps on thundering out God's holy requirements, but Christians were in Christ when he died. And our relationship with law is finished. It's over. It says quite plainly in this passage, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. So it says, for instance, in verse 6, now we have been released from the law, having died, we, having died to that by which we were bound. We serve in newness of the spirit, not oldness of the letter. We were made to die to the law released from it. It's the same word you'd have, it means discharged. The great uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wonderful Bible teacher of the last century, amazing man, he gives this illustration. He says, it would be like a soldier who's done maybe a couple of years of military service. And for those two or three years, he is commanded by sergeants and officers, and he just does what he's told you know, turn right, left, shouts, do this, you're like, oh, you're just under this authority. Then there comes the day when you are discharged. It's all over. You're over, your time's over, goodbye, you're finished. And, and he says, imagine the guy strolling across the parade ground, he's got no tie on, he's got his jacket over his shoulder, he's just going, and then the sergeant comes around the corner and says, soldier! He says, oh, Sarge! You think, hey, wait a minute, I'm out of here. Bye, Sarge, bye. And it doesn't matter how much he shouts at you, he can't touch you because you're not a soldier anymore. You're not under his authority. Ah, bye. doesn't matter how much he screams if the veins stand out on his neck. He, he can't touch you. You have been discharged from the law. God has discharged you. You've been released from its power. It can't condemn you anymore. It can't put you under. It can't make you feel guilty. It's finished. It's all over. So Paul is saying here in verse 4, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that what? Just walk around, just walk free, just do what you like. Well, no, he says this. So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So who's that? Well, Jesus, obviously. So, all right, so I have died to that husband, I'm freed from him, absolutely, in order that I might be joined to this new husband, this one who's been raised from the dead. Then it says this, that you might bear fruit for God. That's what the verse says. 
You're joined to him. He's your new husband with the intention that you bear fruit. Now, fruit has not been mentioned in connection with the old husband. That's a new theme. We've not had bear fruit. Yeah, the old husband has no reference to bearing fruit. The old husband had a different kind of relationship with you. He was one who was telling you what you must do and what you mustn't do. There's nothing about fruit. In fact, it says this in Galatians 3.21. It says this. If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have been based on law. See, if a law had been given that could impart life, see, if the law can do it, let's go to all the schools. Let's just say, can we get into your school? Get into the school. Get into downtown Cape Town. Get into where it's needed and tell them the law. Just tell them. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not commit adultery. Just tell them. If the law can change them, tell them the law. But the Bible says the law doesn't impart any life. It just tells them they're wrong. The law was an impotent husband. He didn't impart any life. He said, come on, do this, do this, do that. But he didn't help you. He didn't do anything. Now we've died to that husband who just said guilty, guilty. We've turned to this husband and it says you're joined to him that you might bear fruit. Because he's not an impotent husband. He's a very potent husband. He says, abide in me, and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Enjoy the love of your new husband. He says, my peace I give you. My joy I give you. The love I pour it out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Hey, this is a different kind of husband altogether. This is a life-imparting husband. This is a husband who changes you from the inside. So we no longer serve, as it says, in the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit. So, beloved, our relationship with law is over. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews says it's obsolete. Obsolete. I did not come to church tonight in a penny farthing. They're obsolete. You don't use them anymore. Okay, It's out of date. The, the, this is over. And the whole book of Hebrews keeps on saying, no, it's over, it's over. This is better. It's a better deal. Altogether better. This is a new relationship. And some people say, well, of course, you do need some law. You know, otherwise people, no, no, it doesn't say you need some law. It doesn't say that. It says you're joined to a new husband who gives you new life. He changes you on the inside. He radically changes you. In fact, the law never produced... It says in Hebrews, it made no one holy. Didn't do it. Look at the Jewish nation. It didn't make anybody holy. On the day of Pentecost, when these people got saved and filled with the Spirit, they fulfill the law far more than the old people did. They gave away what they owned. They shared out of their hearts. They were a radically transformed people. They are joined to Christ. The Spirit is poured into their inner being. And so we are changed radically by this new relationship. Now, what Paul had to face, and what we sometimes face, for instance, in Galatia, was this. That Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians. It says a church got started. Many were saved. 
Many were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 3, they received the promise of the Spirit. It says they were healed. Signs and wonders were done. So here's this community. They're alive in God. The church is born. Paul, having done his apostolic work, moves on to do it somewhere else. And as he moves on, behind him come the Judaizers, which is normally thought to be Christians with a strong Jewish background. Probably Christians. But they come in behind Paul after Paul's left. And they say to these guys, we're so glad you received our Messiah. Uh, you know, our prophets in the Old Testament, they told us that Gentiles would come as well. Hey, this is great. You've joined. You're following the Messiah. Wonderful. Welcome. Um, we've known him for centuries. If you really want to be accepted you really want to know everything's okay you better get circumcised and you better keep the sabbath and you better not eat that kind of food and you better keep the feast days and so what they did they just kept on adding more and more in order to complete this fit this work that jesus said it's finished no no add some more add some more and paul is saying you can improve upon the finished work of christ you can make up for why he failed. He's furious. He's absolutely furious. And he wrote the angriest, writes the angriest letter in the New Testament. You foolish Galatians. And then he says this, who has bewitched you? Well, that's a big word to use for someone who's just saying, don't forget the law. You're bewitching. No, no, you've brought for freedom. Christ has set you free, he says in Galatians. That's not talking about sin as people often do. It's very clear from where it's written in Galatians. It's about law. From God has set you free. Stand fast, therefore, yeah. in the freedom that's yours. Sure. That's what Paul is arguing for. You cannot improve upon what Christ has done. Yeah. It's finished. It's done. It's over. I've done it. That's what he's saying from the cross. I've paid the price fully. You don't need any longer to go back to that old master. Yeah. See, Jesus is your way. See, some people say, I'm a bit up and down in the Christian life. I want to suggest it's not so much, you know, you're hurry getting on, a bit up and down. I think it's a bit husband to husband. See, what happens, you can sometimes feel I'm not doing very well. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm not, I've not walked with you as I wanted to. Uh, Lord, but now, from now on, I will do this, I will do that, I'll make sure I do that, I won't do that, I'll do that. Uh, will that keep you happy? It's like saying in the world, I'll develop a really good relationship with my old husband in order to keep my new husband really happy. <laughs> See, Jesus said, I am the way. You don't need a way to the way. He is the way. And even, even to the backslidden church at Laodicea, where he's been shut out, he says, I'm outside knocking. If any man hears my voice and really works hard at keeping rules, I'll come. No, 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 no. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and sup with him. He's the saviour. He's the one who keeps saving. He's the one who imparts the life. He's the one who changes us. See, we can find similar things. You can find... The day you get saved, you know, at last you've understood. Maybe you've been awakened, somebody else's holy life has challenged you, and you thought, wow, they're kind of clean and together. 
and you go to church and you think, boy, they all seem kind of happy. I need to try and sort out my life. I need to sort out my language, the things I'm... Oh, God. And you find you can't. You can't change yourself. You just can't deal with the issues. And then one day you hear the gospel. You're in, maybe you're in church. You suddenly hear it. Just as you are, you can come. And you hear it. You suddenly understand. He takes sinners. That's the whole point. He takes sinners. And you come and say, Lord, I've received this. And you come and you get saved. And what can happen if someone walks up to you, some well-meaning person says, wow, you got saved. Yeah, I got saved. I'm, I'm, God's received me. I'm so pleased. Um, I'd love to help you. Oh, great. Um, you need to read the Bible every day. Okay, yeah, great. I'll do that. Yeah, you need to read the Bible every day. Make sure you do. Yeah, okay. And uh, you must pray. You've got to pray. Have got a quiet time. Okay, got that. How do you do? Oh, no, you pray. You've got to pray. And you've got to read your Bible. And, um, you know, it's, I, and I shouldn't do your hair like that any longer. No, I don't do that, no. And, and you shouldn't wear those kind of clothes. Uh, oh, really? Oh, no, don't. That's not on, no. So you get, oh, thank you. Got it. Yeah, and this, and that one. Yeah, okay, got it. Got it. Right. Oh, I feel so wonderfully released today. <laughs> by this. You think, hey, what happened to me? Did I get freed or did what happened? And, and so many, beloved, so many Christians, they feel, I took a lot on today. Now, when Jesus saved you, he took a lot on that day. So you think, no, I took on a lot. I've got a lot of responsibility now. No, you can, over, you can misunderstand that. And, and, it, and it, you don't reign in life. You won't reign in life like that because you're going to be under pressure all the time. And Paul said this, the tragedy of his contemporary Jews was this. They were trying to establish a righteousness of their own based on law instead of receiving the righteousness that, that comes from God by faith as a gift. So you reign in life once you understand that. That old relationship is finished. It's all over. We don't have that husband anymore. I don't relate to law like that ever again. I've been set free absolutely. That's what it says. You died, you're discharged, you've been set free. It's a whole new relationship. Now, see, Satan, as I said earlier, he's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And he's always pointing the finger. And what we can find is we feel ourselves condemned. People feel that. Lord, I feel so condemned. I feel I'm not doing well. And Satan's whispering in your ear. Sometimes people even teach you, when you pray, start with confession. Jesus didn't say that. It's not very helpful. You know, it sounds really good. Yeah, clear the decks first. So you come and pray in the morning, wake up. Oh God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry I did that. And then Satan whispers in your ear, and that. Oh yeah, right. It's, it's like he gives you a big spade. He dig the earth, and they jump in the hole and dig deeper. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a terrible... Now, Jesus didn't say that. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. I know I'm a son with you, Father. As you work through that shape prayer, you'll come to forgive us our debts. Yeah, we want to have a good conscience, but you don't come in all the time aware of guilt and shame and failure because that's not what God wants for us. And what we try and do often... If I may put it this way, let's pretend, as it were, this arm represents our consciousness of sin. And we try to cover it over by our sanctification. 
Right, it's a Bible word, our sanctif- how we're getting on, how we're improving, how we're growing in grace. Right, so we're trying to get rid of it, we're trying to hide it. By, well, I'm praying harder, I'm reading my Bible more, I'm working to try and, this sense of failure, I want to cover it, if I never could cover it. And so we try and cover it with activity. So I'm praying hard, I'm reading my Bible more, I'm trying to get rid of condemnation. Then Satan attacks us. He said, well, I'm working, I'm trying so hard. And then Satan says to you, have you heard about Jane? No, what about Jane? She fasts twice a week. Oh no, fasts twice a week. <laughs> All right, so now I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to fast twice a week. <laughs> See, then Satan comes and says, how are you doing? I'm doing better, thank you. I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm fasting twice a week. And he says, oh, I expect you're pleased with, yeah, I am pleased with myself. I expect you're proud. Yes, I'm Oh, no, I am. I'm proud. (laughs) And you suddenly think, how can you? You can't win as a Christian. If you're doing badly, you're doing badly. If you're doing well, you're doing badly. And and honestly, a lot of believers, some people drift away from the church after a while. Why? Well, who can do it? Who can keep it up? I can't keep it up. And because they've got the wrong understanding. And, and sanctification was never given to answer condemnation. God gave us something else. It's called justification. By faith, we are justified as a gift. It's a total gift. We put on the righteousness of Christ. We are declared just as a gift. You don't work out the freedom from condemnation. You accept it. So it says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yeah. Full stop. There isn't any. It's not, there's not, do you know there's no condemnation for you? Yeah. It's all over. It's finished. There is no yeah. condemnation. A friend of mine said when they first saw that, they underlined the verse so much, it went right through to the maps. It's like, wow. <laughs> there is no condemnation. I mean, there isn't any. It's all over. It's gone. It's finished. I mean, it is such a freedom. Otherwise, our danger is this, beloved, that we can think, I'm trying to walk with Jesus. And maybe, you know, you're in the meeting, you're really enjoying Jesus and celebrating, and you go home even from this meeting tonight, you think, wow, I really feel I saw that. I think I saw it. And then the next morning, you wake in the morning, you think, right, you get down and pray, uh, and let me kind of pretend to be uh, one of the wives here, if I may. Say, right, I'm going to pray this morning. Lord, I want to pray. Lord, bless my husband at work today. Make him, make him a bright testimony. Bless his work. Give him opportunity to live for you. Lord Jesus, bless him. I know, I know he wants to be fruitful for you. I'm praying, God, really bless him. I'd love, I'd like to bless him tonight. Maybe I'll get a super meal. I really, I know what he likes to eat. I'll get, I'll go down the shop. Yeah, I think I could go and I, maybe I'll get a really nice steak. He'd love that. I'll go, I, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Um, uh, oh, yeah, praying. Um, oh, God, yeah, praying. Uh, yeah, it's the, missionary, it's the missionary supper on Friday. Oh, God, yeah, bless the missionary supper on Friday. Bless these missionaries as they come to tell us about what's happening in those far-off lands, as they show us the movie about it. God, bless that evening. And, and bless the supper. Oh, yeah, I'm doing the supper, aren't I? Uh, uh, and I haven't, got the, I haven't got the salad. I need to get the salad. Uh, oh, God, when am I going to get... Oh, I could get the salad at the same time. I could get... Oh, that would be fun. We could have a meal tonight. And then I can, I can... And then Satan comes, you see. 
And Satan says, Oh, mighty woman of intercession. Are you prevailing in the heavenlies? You think, prevailing in the heavenlies? Man, I can't, I, my brain goes off out the window. I, I'm a terrible prayer. I can't focus. I'm useless. Oh, God. I better get to my Bible reading. Where was I? Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember. I was 13 days behind, wasn't I? I remember. Uh, yeah, I can remember. I was in Leviticus. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, here it is. Leviticus. Um, and the priest shall remove from it all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them which is on the loins and on the lobe of the liver which he shall remove with the kidneys. See, and, then, and then Satan comes again and says, getting a lot out of it, are we? You see what you say? I don't, I don't understand a word of it. So, so you're a useless Christian. Yeah. I'm a useless Christian. See? See, last night you are in the meeting. Yeah, Jesus, I'm with you. Hallelujah. This morning, I'm a useless Christian. So what happened in between? You know, you must have done something terrible. No, you just slept through the night. That's all you did. But now, you're judging your relationship with God based on how I performed in prayer, how I performed in, in reading my Bible and understanding it, how am I doing well with these things? You see, beloved, you might say, Terry, don't you, don't you pray then? To be honest, I enjoy prayer, but I don't pray to impress God. I don't pray, say, hey, 20 minutes this morning, Lord, mm, how about that, good, eh, 20 minutes, <laughs> clock that up somewhere for me, you know, or, you know, I read two chapters today, Lord, whoa, two chapters, impressive, no, I'm, I want to know, you say, well, don't you read the Bible, I'm preaching the Bible, I love the Bible, I love the truth, it sets me free, but I'm not doing it to get points, I'm not doing it to get right with God, Jesus did that for me. I'm not trying to impress him. I found someone who already impressed him and I'm in him. Yeah, Beloved, we're yeah. free from that awful sort of trying to cycle with no chain on the bike. No. Just work harder. Work harder. Work, try harder. Oh, come on. No, Jesus said it's finished. It's finished. That whole deal's finished. Yeah. We've died to the law so that we can enjoy the love of Jesus. We can walk with him, talk with him. We can laugh with him. We say, I don't understand this, Lord. Hey, he's with us, eh? He loves us. He's for us. The psalmist says this, this I know, God is for me. Yeah. See, not a lot of Christians can say that. They can't say, this I know. They're thinking, if only I could do more for him. Yeah. Now he's saying, this I know, God is for me. God's on my side. God's favoring me. So we reign in life. It doesn't say we reign in life by setting up more rules to live by. That's not what the verse says. The verse says we reign in life through this abundance of grace yeah. and the free gift of righteousness. It's a free gift. That's how we reign. So we're not forever going back to that old husband who's saying, nah. no, 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 finished. It's a new husband who always has come to me. You who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. 
Learn of me. You'll find rest for your soul. And on that foundation, as Rory was saying at the beginning, on that foundation of grace of Jesus, you can build a life. Because you're never going back again. You're never digging up the foundation again. You build on that. You build a whole life on that. See, even in the Old Testament, they were taught about the righteousness of another. It says they had to bring their lamb and it had to be perfect. And so a guy would go and get a lamb, he'd look at it, and he'd bring his lamb to the priest. And when he brought his lamb to the priest, he's not thinking, I do hope the priest doesn't notice this is all torn. And I've got all mud here. He's not thinking about that at all. All eyes are on the lamb. And the priest takes the lamb and inspects the lamb. Is there anything wrong with this guy's lamb? And he says, is it blind? No, it's not blind. Any limbs broken? No. Is it diseased? No. And then he says this, I find no fault in him. Oh, there's nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted. It's his, it's his spotlessness Amazing. that makes me accepted. Amazing. That's the wonder of it. I was praying once. I really knew God spoke to me. I was praying, and I felt God reminded me of that story where Jacob comes to his blind old father, Isaac, and he knows that his father has a son that he really loves. He's called Esau. And the father loves Esau. And so Jacob, in Esau's absence, puts on Esau's clothing. Puts skins on his arms, you know the story. He draws near to his father, hoping against hope. But the father won't say, hey, what are you doing in there, Jacob? He comes in that clothing. And I felt God said to me, I, I, I just felt it as I was praying, I felt God said to me, don't fear that I'll find you hidden in the son that I love. I place you in the son that I love. Come, come, come. And I, I, I often pray, when I pray now, I say, Lord, catch the fragrance. Because it said he caught the fragrance. He clothes, the clothes of Esau. He smelt the clothes. He said, I bless you. And, and, and Jacob's hidden in the son that the father loves. And he gets all the blessings. That's what it says in Ephesians 1. We receive all spiritual blessings because we're accepted in the son that he loves. Amen? We're accepted in the son he loves. You can't do better. You're accepted. It's his righteousness is at your account. It's like you're clothed in him. Hallelujah. Eh? Yeah. Hallelujah. What God has done for us. Let me close with this. John Bunyan, a famous Puritan who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, he, sa he said that one day he, he was feeling depressed and he was walking and he saw a vision. He said, I saw Christ as my righteousness. I saw this vision. He said, I suddenly realized that it didn't depend on my frame. It's an old English word. We sometimes sing it about, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. It's that frame of mind, the way I feel about myself. I don't trust that. He said, I, I realize it's not my frame. I, my, how I feel can't add to the righteousness of Christ. If I feel bad, I can't take away from the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is my righteousness. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. So when I wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus is my righteousness again. 
doesn't matter how I feel. That's not the point. Here's an unchanging, spotless righteousness that's mine. It's to my account. So I'm not coming, waking, oh God, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Thank you, Lord, for righteousness you've given me. Thank you, I'm accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I praise you. I'm a new creation in Christ. I thank you that you've given me a righteousness I've never earned. It's all free. It's all been given to me. Jesus, be glorified as we were singing again and again. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He gets all the glory. And we take all the gift of righteousness. We celebrate what he did for us. We enjoy it. We take it to ourselves. That's what God wants for us to do and to be. We'll reign in life like that. You see, you don't get under. You're over. You reign. Not because of all that you do, but because of what he did. Then he gets the glory. No wonder our churches are full of worship. Because he did it. He's done it. He's finished it. We're not fighting that battle anymore. God's accepted us in the beloved. Hallelujah. We are righteous in his sight. It says in Hebrews, comparing the old with the new, it says the Old Testament priests never sat down because they keep on offering more and more sacrifices. Jesus sat down for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By one offering... He's perfected us for all time. He's our righteousness forever. He's made us righteous as a gift. We stand complete in him. We give him the glory. Amen? Hey, beloved, don't go back. Don't wrestle with condemnation. Don't try and justify yourself. Understand, we can't do it. Jesus took our guilt. Jesus gave us his righteousness. We overcome through what he has done. He gets all the glory. We reign in life as a gift. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand to pray and then we'll sing now.